And I said, I said, you know, it's not, it's just not a feasible business plan, Nate. I said, you know, we'd have to sell this thing for 200 bucks. Uh, and nobody's going to pay that. I mean, the most expensive radiator guard on the market at the time was $79. Um, and he said, uh, he said, you know what, if, uh, if you can build them, I can sell them. And this, and this was all spawned on a, you know, on a Red Bull run back from California racing. He said, you know, we'll buy a machine, we'll put it in my building and, uh, and we'll build these things and sell them. And, and if nothing else, we'll pay for the machine and we'll, we'll have a tax write off because then we're in the motorcycle business. Coming to you from the heart of America, this is the Adventure Motorcycle USA podcast. On each episode, we'll talk with industry insiders, experienced adventure riders, ADV creators, and moto fabricators. On today's show, we catch up with Bud Carmen, a motocross veteran who's channeled his love for two wheels and a penchant for breaking things into bulletproof designs, a leader in hard part protection for the motorcycle industry. Bud's mostly graduated from racing Baja to big adventure bikes, but he's got a passion for the dirt and he's always pushing the edges. Stay tuned at the end of the show to learn what parts Bulletproof is designing for the adventure motorcycle world. Welcome to Adventure Motorcycle USA podcast. I'm Matt McFadden, your host, along with my co-host, Terry T. Rail Terrell. Uh, welcome to the first edition, episode one of Adventure Motorcycle USA podcast. Terry, how are you doing out there? I'm doing fantastic. Happy Friday, Matt. Happy Friday. As mentioned, we have with us uh, our first guest and good friend, Bud Carmen. Bud, welcome to the program. Hey, thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Uh being the first guest hope, hope all nine of your relatives hear me um, on this <laughs> podcast <laughs> we are small but mighty uh with a, with a growing following um well listen it's uh it's a friday it's afternoon uh i am enjoying an adult uh beverage here uh so l- let me just hear from you guys what are you guys drinking out there well i uh poured myself a uh basil hayden very good bourbon Mr. Carmen, how about you? Well, we uh, you know we have Bourbon Friday here at Bulletproof, and uh, we we have a cask, and we just bring our own, and we dump it in there, and we get this mighty mixture of beautiful cask bourbon. So I'm not exactly sure what it is, but it's right now it's pretty good. <laughs> it's going down smooth. Well, Bud, let, let's start let's start talking about uh, your foray into motorsports. Um, you grew up out out in California. And uh, at what age did you start start riding motorcycles? Well, you know, I, I started, you know, I, like a lot of people, I started as a kid and, and it just stuck with me. And, you know, and then in California, it really, it really blossomed. You know, I was the big desert, Southern California District 37 desert racing in the 80s and uh, early 90s. Um, and that's where I really fell in love with, you know, the, just the open high speed racing out west. And and did you so you raced competitively up until into your twenties, thirties, forties? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and and still do to a to a to a point, but you know, not to, not any kind of expert or pro level stuff. I recall from a, a story you told that that you've actually run Baja before. Uh, what class were you in? Wh- how were you running that? What's the story behind that? So, so we've went to Baja, um, 
me and my business partner, Nate uh, Scott, we we love Baja. We have bikes in San Diego. We ride Baja a lot. And um, and so I think our first race in Baja was in 2009. Uh, we raced the Baja 500 uh, in the 30 plus class. And and our our goal was to finish and we finished. Um, and then the, the, you know, our next, the next time we raced in Baja, we raced the entire score series, which was two races in California and then the San Felipe 250, the Baja 500 and the Baja 1000. Um, and we raced the whole series in the 30 plus class, um, with a team and I, and we came in third overall as a, as a team. Um, I think we, uh, I think we got second at the 500. I think we got third at the, at the 1000 in the 30 plus class. So we had a great, it was a great fun year. That was 2014. Um, but so then that was the last time that, that we raced it, but it was, uh, it was a lot of fun. And, and what, what bikes are you riding here? So that these were KTMs. Um, and the, uh, the first 500 we did was on a, was on a 500 or 525, I think. And, and then the 2014 race was on a 450 uh, XC. And they're they're just t- typical, you know, off-road bikes that everybody else rides. There's nothing nothing special. Are they are they set up pretty much stock, or, or are you doing a bunch to the suspension and? Well, the the four the 450 um, we added a gear. We put a six gear in it. It was a five speed transmission, so we put a six gear in it to get a, a little more top end. And stiffened up the suspension because Baja's fast. I mean, you're you're doing 70, 80, um, you know, triple digits in some points. Um, so you, so you stiffen it up to where you can take the the big G outs and that kind of thing. But but beyond that, I mean, you want the bike stock. You don't you don't want to really uh, you, you know over tune it to where it's going to break because it's a it's it's in, in it to finish it really. So you got you got durability number one. Talk to us about how that that whole process is set up for somebody that doesn't know how Baja's run. I mean, it's a 24 hour race, right? And, and you have multiple riders. How long are you riding? How many crew members do you have? Like what, what's the setup? Get it, give us a little bit of insight into the experience of Baja. Well, the, the Baja is a, is a, it's a point to point race and they're all different. You know, there's a San Felipe 250, which is a 250 mile race. Um, and it's, and it's more, you know, it's 250 miles, but in, in ball standards, it's more of a sprint. So you're, you're going to have three riders and they're going to do, you know, break it up in thirds and, and you're going to, you're going to knock it out in, in six hours. Um, you get to the 500, that's kind of an all day thing with a little bit of night riding. Um, and then you get, you, you get to the 1000. And when we did the 1000, it was a point to point from Ensenada to, uh, Cabo San Lucas. It was actually, they call it the 1000. It was actually like 1,350 miles. It was the longest one ever. And, uh, and so we had five riders and we kind of leap, leapfrogged. We had, uh, a crew of, I think we had five crew guys, two chase trucks, and they were, um, they were essentially, you know, following us down the, down the race course on the highway. Um, and we were, you know, as we, you know, we'd do, you know, uh, 150 or 200 miles as riders, and then we'd get in the chase truck 
and try to sleep the best we could. We couldn't, you know, it's, it's a, it's a 40 hour adrenaline rush. So you get a, you get a few minutes of sleep here and there, put your home. Rehydrate, I'm assuming. Yeah. You try, you try to eat a burrito and a taco and try to, try to rehydrate and, and yeah, and then you get, you get back on the bike and you do another couple hundred miles and then it starts over again. And it's like, and they give, they literally give you 40 hours to, to finish, you know, the, the, the 1000. So it's, you know, it's like a, a, a week's, a week's worth of work, you know, in, uh, in two, two days. days and, uh, with no sleep. And so it's, it's an experience. And, you know, if anybody has the opportunity, it's, uh, it's a bucket. It's a bucket list. It's uh, it's something I'll never forget. Hey, I'm curious. You mentioned five riders. Um, I'm assuming all of which are different shapes and sizes. And so, as as far as setting the bike up, do does it? Do you guys set that bike up to kind of uh, cater to everybody, or is it to you know one rider and then everybody else just adjust? How how's that work? No, that's a good question. I mean, and and that's a lot of people. Um, you know, when you enter a Baja race, you're entering the bike, you know, essentially. So it's, it's the bike is getting raced to the finish. Um, so yeah, it gets set up, you know, kind of, uh, in between settings, um, you know, and, and, and it's fun because everybody complains about, well, you know, we got it stiff for this guy and we got it soft for this guy. Um, and people like their brake pedals, you know, different heights and, and, seat heights, all that stuff. And you, and you just got to deal with it. And, and, and I'm easy. I'll ride anything, anywhere, anytime. So, um, I, I end up riding stuff I don't like, but that's fine. Uh, but yeah, it's, I, it's the bike. It's the bike that has to make it to the finish, not the rider. Are you pre-running the, your sections here or are you flying blind in the middle of the night? Uh, not really knowing what, what's coming around the next turn. No, absolutely. We're pre-running. Um, you know, to, a, to an extent, it's, it's harder when you're, when you're doing a point to point, you know, 1300 mile race, but, but yes, we're going down in advance. We're spending, we're spending a week, uh, a week, sometimes two weeks in, in Baja, you know, camping or getting hotels and running our sections and trying to figure out where we're going to do rider changes, um, coming up with a plan, changing the plan, um, all that kind of stuff. Um, uh, so yeah, we, we are absolutely pre-running our section and trying to find lines. And I know when I think Baja, I think sand. And when, when you're talking about motocross or you're talking about adventure riders, one of the, uh, you know, the nemesis of, of every section of every ride is when you get to that sand, right. And you kind of start to pucker up. How much sand are you seeing down there in Baja? And are you just going so fast that you're floating over it on those four fifties? No, you know, you see a lot of sand. I mean, it's, it's, I want to say, you know, it's probably mostly what I would consider, you know, loose dirt roads, you know, two track dirt roads, but, um, you know, maybe 30 or 40% of it is sand and sand whoops, because you're ultimately riding, you're almost always riding some old race course that was used at some point or another, you know, they've been running Baja since the sixties. So that it's all pretty beat up and, and it, and it all gets whooped out. And so, yeah, you, it's, it's not uncommon to do 30, 40 miles of, of sand whoops, just like, you know, it's forever, you know, four foot and, uh, and it just, and it just wears on you. Um, 
you know, and then you'll just, you know, you'll auger in because you're just tired and, uh, and you lift the bike up and dump sand out of your helmet and, and, you know, continue on. But, but yeah, it's, you know, it's, it's tough. Um, and that's, and that's where the pre-running comes in. You, you know, it's, you try to find those, those little lines around, uh, around the, the gnarly stuff and the, and the silt and all that. But you guys ride Baja more than just the, just this racing series and so forth. And uh, so I'm curious, do you see many uh, adventure bikes down in that area? You do, but you don't, you know, you don't see a lot. And, uh, and I, and I don't, I don't fully understand that um, because I think it's all, it's all mostly rideable except for, you know, the, the gnarly sand stuff. Um, I mean, you certainly see them, but I think mostly where we ride, we, we don't see a lot. Um, there, there's not, it's not a place I would consider safe to camp. Um, that, that, you know, that might be part of it. You're, you're always having to hit a hotel, but, but I would love to adventure ride down there. I know, I know we've talked about it within the Adventure Motorcycle USA crew, and it, it always seems like a good idea, maybe five or six beers in, and then the next morning everybody goes, hey, why don't we go to some solid dirt up in the Northwest where we know it's going to be dry and solid and, you know, good days of, of long trails. Well, let, let's spend a few minutes uh, talking about your transition, you know, really from motocross rider to the owner of, of bulletproof designs and, and what, what, what brought about the, the inspiration to start bulletproof? You know, where'd you guys get the idea? Was it, was it from your riding experience where you saw the need and, um, you know, t- tell us a little bit about how, how bulletproof came to be. Okay. So in, you know, in the early 2000s, 2003, 2004, I was riding with Nate Scott, my business partner, um, here at Bulletproof. And I, I was always in the machining business and I was building motorcycle guards, mo- radiator guards mainly and, and disc guards and skid plates and that kind of thing in my, um, in, in my shop, in my day job. And I was, you know, all my, all my racing buddies, all my riding buddies, I was building parts and myself and Nate, we would go out West, we'd race the best in the desert series and, and the score series. And we'd go to California and we'd race some district 37 stuff. And we just, and we kept gravitating to, to want to go out West and, and race. And it was very expensive. We're always driving out there. And on one of the, you know, on one of the 18 hour drive back from, uh, California, you know, he's like, you know, we, we need a way to, we need a tax write off for this stuff, you know, which we did. We were broke. And he's like, you know, we should start selling those radiator guards that you built. And, uh, and were you building these commercially or were you no, no, no. making was, these on the side? I was making them on the side. And, gotcha. Okay. And and they were they were hyper expensive to build. Um just solid billet. Um, you know, like n- nobody's ever seen um, you know, back then. And uh and so that's what we did. And it and it worked. Uh yeah, and we did that for, you know, several years where we were just, you know, working two jobs and and busting out radiator guards and and selling them, uh, you know, on KTM talk and, and some of these other, uh, platforms. Um, and was it a specific radiator guard for a specific bike or, or, you know, it was mostly KTMs. I mean, that's still our business is mostly KTM. Um, that's, that's a huge part of the, the aftermarket off-road industry is, is KTM dirt bikes. 
you know, at the time when we started, they were, you know, there was a two stroke and a four stroke. Mm-hmm. And so that, and so that's what we did. And, and it kind of, uh, and it kind of just grew and grew and grew like, like a lot of small startup businesses do. And, you know, the next thing we knew, um, it wasn't a tax write off anymore. It was, oh shit, we got to pay taxes, you know, good problem to have, but you know, that's, that's where we are. So. So, I mean, so t- tell me the impetus for, for the radiator guard. I mean, why do you even need one, right? Why do you need a $200 radiator guard? Uh, what's wrong with the one that comes stock from KTM? Well, on a, you know, on not so much on adventure bikes, but on, on dirt bikes, you know, off-road bikes, race bikes. Um, when you tip your bike over, it's the very first thing that, that hits the ground. Um, you know, your, the, the lower corner of your radiator uh, hits the ground and then your handlebar hits the ground. So it's every time you tip the bike over, even if it's, you know, if it's dropping it in your garage or, or on a trail, um, that, that radiator is hitting the ground. And that, and that was the biggest thing with our solid billet radiator guards is they, they protect from that side impact drop. You know, of course they protect the front from rocks and sticks and that kind of thing. But, but it's the, it's that drop in the bike on the side that uh they really win and uh, and they look cool as shit too so they do hey could you tell us like what is uh what's the average cost of a replacement for like a radiator if you were to dra- drop something and and not have that kind of protection well i mean it's it's your 200 plus per side um for to replace a radiator but you know the thing the thing we tell people it's it's more than that you know if you're in the middle of baja or in the middle of a race yeah, or, yeah. or in a ride in colorado and and you do that and your ride's over um it, that's you know there's there's no amount of yeah, place that's, on that so it's it's a there's opportunity loss yeah right so so you started with with radiator guards and and you found out that that nate wasn't full of shit he could actually sell them you you got into dealerships and how many how many dealers are selling your parts right now? Um, we have uh, about five hundred dealers worldwide. Um, you know that that yeah that's an impressive number. But you know uh, maybe twenty five percent of those are are really active dealers. But yeah, it's a it's a it's a large network of of dealers that are selling our product. And, and so you went from, from radiator guards, you found out that was a winner and then was the idea, Hey, let's just look for other weak spots on the motorcycle and begin to develop and design and produce hard parts for those. Yeah. And, um, and specifically KTM, they have a cast swing arm. So one of our products is swimmer and guard. It's a, it's a patented product we have. Um, and it protects the tabs on the, on the cast swing arm, because if, if they break, you have to replace the whole thing. Um, so that's one of our products. Then we do other commodity products, disc guards. Um, we do a linkage guard, all the, all the staple billet products for, for off-road bikes. And then, and then of course our website, we sell all kinds of other products and, and we're a retail store also. But were your customers coming to you and asking for these, these items, or is this something that, that you were thinking, all right, this is something else that needs protected as well. You know, it's mostly, um, you know, the, the bikes that we ride and the, and the crew that I ride with, I mean, we break a lot of stuff, so it's almost always, 
personal demand. It's like, hey, why did this break? And, <laughs> and can and can we fix that? And, you know, an example is like right now, the new, the brand new Huskies, they have a carbon fiber subframe on them and it's, and it's breaking, you know, it's, it's a design flaw that I'm sure will get fixed, but that, that mounting point is now an opportunity to build a, to, to build a bracket or a brace or a guard. And that's something we're, we're working on now to, to beef that up and, and protect it. So let's transition a little bit from motocross, from, from bulletproof to, how you got into adventure riding, when you got into adventure riding and, and what you started with, uh, as your first adventure bike. Okay. So adventure riding, I, you know, I want to say probably in 2000, 2007, 2008, a, a group of guys, they, they wanted to do the continental divide from Colorado to Canada and back. So like a lot of guys, I think you guys, you, you know, uh, it's all, the story is all the same. It's like, oh, well, let's go buy a bike and let's just do this. Um, not a lot of knowledge. So I went and I bought, I bought a Triumph Tiger, a 995 back when, you know, back when Triumphs were, thought were more off-road than they are now. Um, and so I did on a Triumph. A lot of guys had, you know, went with KLRs like you guys have, have went with when you started. And, and there were some KTMs and, uh, Nate had an, a 950 super enduro. Um, th- so it was a real hodgepodge of bikes and, and a real hodgepodge crew. And, and, and we overpacked like everybody does, but, um, but we had a good route, you know, and I think that was the, the key was, was we had a good route and, and we, and we knocked it out. We had issues and it was fun and we got some fights and got drunk a couple of times, but it, you know, it ended up being a good trip. And, and, um, as soon as I got back, I sold the triumph, um, not, not because I hated the bike. It's just, <laughs> it's, you know, it's, it was a long ride, you know, it was over 3000 miles and, and I never wanted to sit on it again. But, but ultimately, you know, it was, uh, you know, that was, uh, that was 15 years ago. And at the time, you know, I was still racing a lot and, and doing Baja and that kind of thing. And, and I thought, you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to shelf this and, uh, and I'm going to pick it back up when I get, when I get older and, um, and now I'm older. So here I am. Let me ask you because you know I, I I won't reveal the collective ages of of all of us, but but we're over the age of forty for sure. And you know I, I see people transitioning from motocross to adventure bikes. Uh, I see people crossing over from Harley street riding to adventure bikes. Is it is it an old guy thing? Well, I you know I I think it isn't. I, I don't know. I mean, I think it's an old man thing. I mean, I call old man. I mean, I am, I'm, I'm 53. Um, so I, I, I feel like I'm old. I'm probably, you know, a lot of guys are saying, oh, that's not old, but I, you know, it's a money thing. I mean, adventure bikes are expensive. I mean, you're, you know, you're talking about a $20,000, a motorcycle and you're, and to do a real trip, you're talking about taking two weeks off. So, um, you know, if young guys can do that, more power to them. Um, and, and we welcome them into the sport, but I I think too, it's also about, you know, um, Terry and I were talking about this, you know, and, and, and big dog adventures. And, you know, we kind of, uh, I like his stuff because, uh, he's not there to be first. He's there to experience it all. And I think as you get older, 
it's not so much about going a hundred miles an hour all the time. It's fun to get up and, and, you know, get back on the throttle a little bit and, and feel that adrenaline. But at the same time, it's also about looking out at 12,000 feet and seeing what's below you and riding trails and sitting around a campfire and, and, you know, all the things that come with an adventure trip uh, and the experiences that come with it, not so much getting from point A to B like your Baja days. No, I totally agree. And, and that's, and that's why I love it now. I mean, cause it's, um, you know, I was, I, you know, it was always a race before. Um, and you know, and even the first time I did it, you know, I was like, well, let's just hurry up and get there. Cause that was, that was the mentality of the, of the younger, you know, racer style rider. Um, but, but it's just not anymore. Um, it's, you know, I mean, obviously you guys know I like to do the hard stuff, but, but it's not a race. It's not. And, you know, and I, I love it when we have issues and, and, and break down and, ha- and have to improvise and, and pull shit out of ditches and, you know, change fuel pumps on the trail, whatever it is, um, flat tires. It's, I mean, it's, it, that's, that's what drives me now. And, and, you know, back then it would probably just piss me off. Hey, but how many of the the guys that were on your ride back then, you know, I think you said 07 was when you guys did the Continental Divide. How many of those guys are have transitioned over into adventure riding or or are they still, you know, messing with the hair scrambles and the and the enduro stuff or are they doing both or what? You know, I think I I think there's maybe four or five guys that were on that ride that retired from riding motorcycles forever. You know, they, um, they were first time riders on KLRs and, um, and they, they, um, you know, they didn't, they didn't follow through on it. Um, you know, one of the guys that was on the ride actually was in here last week and, uh, wants me to do the tour of Idaho with him, um, on a small bike. But I told him, you know, it's the same time as Adventure USA ride. So it's probably not going to happen. <laughs> uh, in a lot of these podcasts, you know, there are lists being made, right? Like the 10 things every adventure rider needs, or let's talk a little bit about the absolute must haves on an adventure bike. You're riding now an 1190, uh, right? KTM 1190 adventure R. Correct. Yes. If you had the couple of essentials out there, what are you putting on that thing? You know, for me, I, you know, probably on an adventure bike, you know, it, it has to have a skid plate, um, as far as protection. If we're just talking about protection, um, all right, let me, let me, let me just stop you there. Let's dig down on that skid plate a little bit, because I've had, I've had a a number of different bikes, as you know, uh, the, the GS 1200, now I'm riding the 1090R, uh, and I've gone big, heavy, uh, black dog skid plates, um, and I've gone, uh, stock near stock skid plates. Uh, now I'm running, you know, an aluminum skid plate on there, uh, from I think tour tech. I know all, all of your parts on the motocross stuff are made out of aluminum. Where do you draw the line between protection and, and weight on the adventure bikes? I mean, I like lightweight stuff. I mean, um, you can definitely get away with a bigger, uh, you know, heavier, more robust guard on the, on an adventure bike. I mean, ultimately I like to go with, with the lightweight stuff. I mean, I think if somebody made a carbon fiber skid plate, I'd probably buy it, but they don't, um, for the, for the adventure bikes. 
Um, but yeah, they, but you can get away with more, especially down low on a skid plate. You can, you, you know, you can go with the big black dog heavy duty and never have to worry about it ever. Um, so, so do you think that that's, you should base your decision on skill level then, um, you know, just based on, on knowing how you're going to handle a bike versus, you know, if you're brand new and, and you know, you're going to drop that thing and you're not, you know, you're going to be banging that thing off rocks. Yeah, well, the skid plate, yeah, the skid plate's not necessarily, you're not dropping your bike, you're, you're going over stuff, and it, you probably base it on what you plan on riding, um, and that's the thing I've found with adventure riding is it's everybody's, adventure rider's version of we went off-roading is all different, you know, it's it's different for everybody, and as long as they're having fun, it's fine, but, you know, if you're if you're going to do some, some gnarly stuff that you probably shouldn't have an adventure bike on, then, yeah, I'd go with a big gnarly skid plate that's that you, you, know, you drag over stuff. It, it just depends on the on the rider and their and what they want to spend and and all that kind of stuff. My, personally, I, I you know, I'd prefer to have lightweight stuff and, and just destroy it and put another one on. Yeah, I, I know in the in the near decade that we've been doing this, I've gotten lighter every single ride, right? I'm not to the point where I'm cutting the, uh, the tags out of my shirts, uh, to drop, drop weight, but I have certainly cut probably, you know, three to four pounds every single ride. Um, but I I don't think, uh, I'm, I'm at your point where I'm buying titanium wrenches, uh, (laughs) but I'm, but, but I'm getting close. Okay. So, so, uh, above above and beyond skid plates uh what other essentials are you are you putting on that bike i mean essentials that you know just absolute must-haves on an adventure bike um you know i think i think at number two would probably be hand guards uh you know again the butt when the bike falls you know that the handlebar hits the ground if you break a lever uh you're done of course you know busting through trees and and bushes and poison ivy or whatever you want that protection for your hands but you, number one you don't want to you don't want to break your lever so I, i'd have hand guards for sure and and there's you know numerous varieties of hand guards you know whatever the wrap around um you know bolt on heavy heavy duty uh aluminum hand guards w- would be uh, essential um you know and then next probably just the the frame guards which i think a lot of the bikes come stock with and and the you know the stock crash bars or frame guards are you know are good stuff uh but yeah i don't i don't know that you need a ton uh when it comes to protection that's not already on the bike well i can assure you one thing that you klr riders out there um need to for sure upgrade those hand guards from those big elephant ear plastic hand guards that they that come stock on there for to put some aluminum or or wrap around hand guards for sure yeah terry, terry and i were talking about the the klr days you know that's what we started on he went out and bought one we had watched long way round uh we we loaded those things down with i remember when i bought that thing i was on my tippy toes and by the time i had that thing packed uh you know i had about a eight inch bend in my knee uh, <laughs> thing, was, thing was sitting on the ground uh, but but i tell you what you know as, as much as we laugh about the klr days other than 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 one of our guys just pure running that thing out of oil and, and burning up the engine um which which you could say was was self-afflicted we never had a mechanical problem with that thing um and with the bmws and the and the K, uh, ktms as as good as they are performance wise and as fun as they are to ride 
you know, somebody stopping at some point to do something uh, to those things. Uh, somebody referred to the KLR as the Honda Civic of adventure motorcycles, right? It's not real <laughs> pretty, but but it's going to get you where you need to go. I, sure. I agree. Yeah, I've, I've never owned one, but ridden ridden with plenty, and and they uh, they don't break. So so, Bud, I know you've had a, a couple of adventure bikes. You started with the nine nine five um, Triumph. Where'd you go from there? Well, you know, I bought from there. I went, you know, I took a couple years off, and then I bought a GS because you know at some point everybody that's what you to, do. You got everybody it, right? has to own a GS. You know, it's you know you watch a long way around, and it's like oh wow, that things do wheelies and everything. <laughs> um, so I bought a I bought a GS and uh, and it and, you know it was a great bike, um, but I you know I just rode it back and forth to work for two years. And never really, you know, went on some dirt roads and never really went on a trip, didn't have anybody to ride with. And, and so I flipped it. Um, so unfortunately, I never really got to say, oh, wow, this is what a GS can do or, or can't do. But it, it was fine. I didn't have any issues with it. Um, and then I, uh, you know, and then I got um, somehow um, bumped up on the list for Adventure Rider USA. And I had to buy another bike. So I, um, I ended up with a KTM 990. Um, for my first, uh, adventure rider USA trip. Uh, that was a pretty good bike. It boy, you know, that, that's a, that's a true off-road adventure bike. Um, the, the 990, I don't know that they're the most reliable bike ever built, but as far as pure off-road performance, um, and just a racy feel that 990 was a, was a great, great motorcycle. So from there you went to what the 1190R? Yeah, I went to 1190R. You know, I did the one year on the on the 990, and and, and yeah, I didn't I didn't really have any issues with it. It just, um, you know, again felt like I needed to upgrade, and and went with the went with 1190, and now I'm I'm on the uh, 2016 1190R, and I I absolutely love that motorcycle. Um, go ahead, bud. You can you can actually tell them why you decided to go with the. The 1190R. Well, because that's well, that's what Terry has, and I rode Terry's, and I was like, okay, I gotta have one. So, um, actually, what you said was, if that bike can stand up to all the shit that you put it through, it is a great platform. Yeah, that was true. You you crash a lot. I mean, you probably hurt yourself (laughs) on this podcast just talking about motorcycles. So. Um, if, if, if there was ever if there was ever a case to be made for upper crash guards, Terry Terrell is that case. I, I watched Terry go up a goat trail, and in the heart of my hearts, I said, "No way!" But he thought if he had enough speed, he could keep that thing going, <laughs> and went straight up the side of that mountain. And then I watched that thing turn to the right and then roll three or four times. Both mirrors flew off that thing, but uh, it didn't have a scratch on it. Other than other than no mirrors, uh, that thing looked good as new. Yeah, I will tell you those Tour Tech upper crash guards that were that were on my fourteen eleven ninety Adventure are yeah they they held they did their job they protected the gas tank and the plastic did really really good job. Yeah. So and what and what happened to the fourteen Terry? Oh, yeah yeah <laughs> that's a whole different podcast. <laughs> Uh, let's just say there was an insurance claim made on that 14. <laughs> that's, that's, that's right. So, but, uh, 
I, I, I don't want to spend a bunch of time talking about, you know, essential gear, because I think honestly, to your point, it's, it's how you're riding the thing, right? And everybody out there is riding their motorcycle different and everybody's definition of adventure. And, and we're not here to judge, right? I mean, if you want to go, you know, do tail the dragon and that's your adventure, man, we're just glad you're on a motorcycle doing it. Right. Uh, you know, for us, we like to, to take the bikes and, and use the, the pavement to get to the dirt. And, uh, you know, that's what all our, our annual rides are, are built around. T- tell us what you've done to that 1190, uh, not so much protection wise, but just, just gear wise. Gosh, I don't know that I was ready for that question. Um, uh, you know, again, not a lot. I mean, there's not a lot of performance on, it. I know the KTMs, they have an airbox issue. You have to, uh, you have to get a kit to, uh, to kind of seal that up. Uh, did you do the Rottweiler kit? I did not do the Rottweiler kit. I mean, you guys can probably speak more to that than, than I can, but, um, you know, more than anything, I probably, you know, you, you, you add bags to it. Um, okay. Well, let's talk about, let's, let's stop, let's stop on the bags for a sec. I, I went soft bags. I think you went soft bags before me, but I, I, I don't know, two trips ago, I, I ran over my leg with my tour tech hard, hard panniers, which I loved. I mean, those, the Zanga pros, I think, I had on there and they, they did me right for a lot of years. Um, but at some point, I think after I had my ACL surgery, I thought maybe I should go soft bags, but I think you were really the impetus on, on what soft bags I went with. Right. So you, you went early in on, uh, on the, on the Moscomotos. Yeah. And I love the Moscos. Um, you know, I did have, I had hard bags on the 990, but yeah, you know, probably more than anything, I like the looks of, of the soft bags and, and they're, they're more flexible, you know? So if you want to, if you want to stuff one full, you can, if you want to just put a few things in and cinch it down tight, it'll, you know, it'll work down to that also where, you know, hard bags, just a hard bag and it's going to be the same size no matter what. So yeah, there, the flexibility of this, of the soft bags, uh, you know, is, is a great thing. I like the Moscow's again, there's a lot of different brands out there. You bring up a really great point about, uh, you know, the hard bags and, and they're the same size, no matter what. And it, and it kind of goes back to packing and, or possibly overpacking. You feel like you almost need to, you know, you got the space, so why not put it in there? Yeah, that's, that's certainly not the right answer when you're well, and on a hard bag, you, you know, you have to pack it full or your shit's going to all vibrate. Rattle, rattle. And, yeah. um, you, you know, you're going to wear, wear it out and rattle it out. And so, you, you know, if you don't stuff it full, you end up, you know, jamming T-shirts in there and underwear and whatever else to stop it from vibrating and tearing everything up. So you don't have to worry about the soft bag. You just, you just cinch her down a little tighter and it holds everything in place. Um now, but I saw a picture of your 1190 recently, and and you couldn't quite let go of that that 990 look. So I saw you put the uh, Dakar racing fairing on the front of that thing, right? Yeah. So I wanted uh, I wanted to uh, upgrade the lighting, but I'm not I'm not a huge fan of the auxiliary type lightings that you mount to your crash bars or and that kind of thing. So I went with the uh, the Rad Garage set up and it's a carbon fiber rally type fairing with two rally headlights. And, uh, and it really, yeah, it really did give it the 990 look. It, it upgraded the lighting. Um, yeah, I gave up a little bit on the windshield, but the, you know, the cool factors, you know, way worth it. And, and the, <laughs> and the extra lighting, uh, 
So I'm a, yeah, huge, huge fan of that kit. I'd, I'd recommend it for the, the 1090, 1190 guys. I don't, I don't think they have a package for the new 1290s, but, uh, the 1090, 1190, it's a good kit. And then, uh, not to stray too much from your, your Baja days, but you took that whole front fender assembly and raised that up as well, didn't you? Yeah. So, so I took, I bought the 990, which has the, the, the lower fender and I rode it just around the back of my house. Um, I had some trails back behind my house and so I wanted to go out and just play with it a little bit. And I rode it back there and it got in a little bit of mud and, and I wasn't two miles into the ride and I tore the front fender off and I was like, well, this is dumb. Uh, you know, made me crash. And, uh, I, I, I never have, you know, since then, you know, I've never really understood the the low fender thing. So I I bought the 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 high fender kit. You know, made it more of a moto Baja style look. Um, the and, and the funny thing is, the exact same thing happened on my 1190. I didn't arbitrarily take the fender off. I went out riding and I tore it off. Um, and I don't know if I just tend to find gumbo mud that you know that gets clogged up in there, but it's uh you know it's kind of a silly deal. Um, I you know I think um, I'm not sure why they don't. Uh, they don't come with the high fender. I know the new 790Rs, they, they come with the high fender, which makes a lot of sense. And that's what we ended up doing after we, we all kind of took your lead. You put the high fender on there, and then we found out that the 790 Fort Guards fit the 1090 and 1190 KTMs, right? So they're kind of straight bolt-on. So we kind of mocked those up a little bit with the Adventure Motorcycle USA logo and, and stuck those on with the high fender, and pretty good look. Right. Exactly. I mean, it used to, the KTM guys, you know, always, they went, they had the high fender kit and, and you had to kind of scab on these SX 85, uh, fort guards, which there were some kits that made them look okay. But, but yeah, that 790 guard, the factory fit from KTM on the, on the older bikes. So it fits the, the 990, 1090, 1190. It's a, it's, it's a real upgrade and, and I'd highly recommend it. All right, bud, as we as we start to conclude this, one last question. If you had to have one song on your adventure ride playlist, what song is that? Oh man. Um, you know what song it is. It's the one I always ask <laughs> you to play. I can't even think of it. <laughs> um Ty- Tyler Childers, right? Yeah, exactly. Right. Um, so yeah, Matt's you know, Matt's the DJ of the trip for sure. And man, his playlist is gold. Um I you know, I have his I have his playlist on my iPod. He's got, you know, hundreds of songs and uh yeah, I love his shit. Well, Bud Carmen of Bulletproof Designs, thank you for being guest number one on Adventure Motorcycle USA podcast. We appreciate it. We'll put uh, we'll put links to to Bulletproof, uh, a couple of pictures of Bud's bike uh, on our website, so you guys can go over there and and check it out. So, Bud, thank you on behalf of my co-host Terry Terrell. This is Matt McFadden for the Adventure Motorcycle USA podcast. Do you see a market for your your hard billet, uh, you know, bulletproof uh, products for the aftermarket? I mean, for the uh, adventure motorcycle market. Well, you know, the the one thing which where I see, you know, there's a ton of stuff out there right now, and the one thing I see is lacking is is a rear discard. Um, I, I have no idea why nobody's um, protecting that part of the bike. 
um, because I know personally we we beat those things up, and uh, and Bulletproof has a great rear disc guard design, a solid billet design with a caliper guard, and I'm I'm currently looking at that. I'm going to get the bike in the shop, and and before long, um, we will uh, you know we're going to have a rear disc guard for adventure bikes, the 790s, all the KTM's to start. Um, but I, I think it's a I think it's a need in the market right now. So that that's definitely a, a product that you're going to be seeing from us.